Well, good morning. Hi, everybody. Um, buenos dias. So I was reading, well, not recently, but you know in 2 Kings, Eli- Elisha, the prophet, is um, being mentored by Elijah. And one day he gets this great idea. I'm going to ask for a double blessing. I'm going to get like, I want double the anointing, the calling. I want the power of God like Elijah had it in his life. So what ends up happening, he gets Elijah's mantle, which is his coat. In all literality, he gets his coat, but it symbolizes all these things. So this morning, I'm wearing a shirt that Dave used to wear. And um, I'm sure he preached in this at some point. He prayed in this at some point. So I'm hoping that like it's going to flow through this message And this is the point where I should start praying. So, Lord, (laughs) Jesus, I thank you that I do have Dave's shirt. And I thank you that you are with me, which is the most important thing of all. But, Lord, I ask that your word would go forth and people would hear you speak to their heart. In your name I pray, Lord. Amen. how, How many of you have ever seen the movie Inception? I saw that really recently. I like the movie. I don't think there's any reason I should not be endorsing any up here, but I'm just throwing that out there. Um, but I have a friend at work. I work part-time at a library, and uh, this friend at work hates the movie. <laughs> and it's this running joke, because people will come in and ordering Inception, and he's like, oh, and I, I'm laughing while he's like trying to find it for somebody. And part of the reason he hates the movie Inception, and I'm not going to try to give it away. You'd have to watch it. But the end of the movie leaves you a little bit hanging. You're not really sure what happened. I saw it and I felt okay believing it was the happy ending and all that stuff. But he, gets, he was bugged because it doesn't, have, it doesn't resolve. It doesn't really like uh, end in just this perfect little way. And if you've ever had that, maybe you rented a DVD and right before like something good happens, it scratches like, oh, I gotta get, you know, I've got to go return it or something. There's this sense of like when something doesn't resolve, it doesn't sit well. Um, some of you saw Lost and never watched, but I heard the ending never didn't resolve all the stuff in the Lost series. <laughs> and people, yeah, people, people were upset because they're like, they didn't answer this and this and this and that person. I'm like, that's why I didn't watch it. I didn't even start, guys. I wasn't sucked in. Sorry, if that was you. Or I never saw this either, but the Sopranos, I mean, I heard it ended really poorly too. It didn't answer a lot of questions. And in our life as believers, I think many of us walk around uh, with a little bit of a frustration because we don't have a certain resolution in our story. Or we don't see a resolution. Um, and it really has to go back to the, what's the point. When you don't have a good ending, it goes back to what was the point of the middle? And what was the point of the beginning? And a lot of believers walk around with not really getting the point. Not really sure what the point of all of this is. Um, especially what the point of what I'm doing here on earth and then what's the point in the future and the beautiful thing about what Dave's been talking to us the last seven to eight weeks about the ravished heart of God is Dave's been bringing across the fact that the point of our story is him, is the reality of God, is loving God, is not about the doing as a Christian, it's about knowing him. He is our great reward. He is our everything. And the funny thing about when you talk about the love of God, you eventually will have to talk about the end times. Because to start the story... It's like starting a a relationship with someone and you just get to know them, you're dating. We're kind of in this in-between state where we're engaged. The Lord's ours and we're his. But if you leave it on the engagement, there's a little dissatisfaction and the other person would probably start strangling you if you didn't eventually get married, right? If you didn't like follow through, okay? There's a a non-resolution. 
I hope I'm not stirring up anything in some, uh, Jesus loves you. Um, but in our story, there's a resolution that people don't have in mind, partly because they don't get the point, and when they miss the point, they're not really sure about the end, and it leaves us dissatisfied in this life. And this morning, I want to talk to you about the end of the story. Dave's actually been doing a really good Amazing job. Listen to, get all the series. I was telling someone, I was listen, I've listened to at least a few of them twice, if not more. Clint's was great. Um, Dave's been talking about God's love and God's heart for us from the very beginning was to have a relationship, show us his love. That's why God, he created us. That's why he redeemed us. And ultimately, that's what the end's about, that Jesus is coming back for his bride, and that's why he hasn't come back yet. Jesus hasn't come back for us. And I was telling some youth this week because um, he wanted me. Like if Jesus had come back 30 years ago, I'm 27 by the way, if he'd come back 30 years ago, I would not have been in the kingdom. And Jesus wanted me. If he didn't come back, if he came back 100 years ago, none of us would have been in the kingdom. But God's like, I want to wait for Valerie. I want to wait for Clint. I want to wait for Carrie. I want to wait for this whole room. And that's why he hasn't come back yet because he's longing for his bride and his bride consists of all of us collectively. And so... I was asking the Lord, Lord, what should I preach on? And I got a phrase. I felt like the Lord told me, I want you to talk about the hope of your calling. Um, I'm not going to read this whole passage because it would go long. But in Ephesians 1, 17 through 23, Paul prays that, uh, he prays that they would receive a, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God, that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened, that they would know the hope of their calling, the glorious, his glorious inheritance in the saints, and the amazing power for us who believe. You're like, what does that mean? Uh, I think I know, but, but you just have to read it, pray it, and God will give you revelation. But, and you can stu- study and look up stuff too. And obviously the power makes sense that God wants to give us, wants us to know that we have the power of God to do his work here on this earth. I don't know if you know this, but you've been called to do miracles. That's a whole other message another day, but we believe that here. <laughs> we see miracles and it happens, all right? Um, the second the second thing from the end, he talked about that we would be his inheritance, and Dave's been talking about that, where we are the bride of Christ. You have to know that Jesus wants you. I mean, that's what it's all about. You have to know that Jesus wants you. And it's amazing that Paul has to pray for it, because it's really, guys, it's outside of our grasp, but God's cool letting us in on the secret, all right? Lord, help me get this, because I'm struggling. But that first phrase, the hope of our calling, um, I was always a little confused about it. So when the Lord initially told me that, he answered it in an instant. But at first I was like, the hope of our calling, Lord, what is that? What does that mean? And I've always understood when he says that, that's in, yeah, Ephesians 1, 17 through 23. When he says the hope of our calling, I always thought of it in terms of calling, calling. If you've lived in church, you've been in church, calling is always something you do. Calling is always... uh, your ministry assignment. I've been called to do something. I've been called to a task. I love, by the way, the subject of calling. Um, It's one of the reasons as a young person, I pursued God. When I found out God had a purpose for my life, I'm like, dude, I want to get to know this guy. (laughs) Because I have this deep felt need in me that I want to be significant and I want to do something significant. And when I found God had that for me, again, I grew up in church, but this is one reason I actually followed the the God of my fathers, because I know others who didn't, um, because I heard that God had purpose for me. So God drew me into intimacy through the gateway of purpose. But that's not what this phrase, I really believe, is 
talking about. The hope of your calling isn't just that, Lord, I pray that they would know that they're going to do cool stuff for you and that um, that cool stuff will get done by the time they're dead. You know, again, I'm not belittling that. I love to talk of calling. I mean, if we're here longer, I'll preach on it, but I only have time for one message, and <laughs> you guys are really happy about that. So um, I want you to look at John 17, 3. This is Jesus praying a prayer. Well, I have it on my notes. John 17, 3. Jesus is praying to the Father for us. Again, amazing. Jesus is praying for us. I mean, this is an amazing passage of Scripture. But I just want to take one concept, one key thing out of here. It says in verse 3, And this is eternal life, that they may know you. That they may know you. That they may know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You have eternal life now. You, you say, God, forgive me for everything I've done. I make you in charge. That's what, that's what you do when you become a Christian. You're just saying, Lord, you've forgiven everything, and now I'm going to let you run my life. And when I mess up, you'll forgive me again, and I'm going to let you run my life. And that's what it means to be a believer. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of love. It's a lot of grace. and It's a lot of beauty. But it's, eternal life's not about living forever. It's about knowing God. Amen. It's about knowing God. Look with me in Philippians 3. 8 through 15. I have this summoner, so I'm just going to read it out of there. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is from faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him, that I may know him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this, in mi- have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this even to you. In verse 14, he says what? I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. Your calling is him. Amen. Your calling is all about Jesus. Everything you would ever do for him, it all goes back to your call to know him. Knowing God is everything. It's the end and the beginning. Alpha and Omega, well, that works. He, it's the, like, he, he is it. And what I felt like the Lord was saying, Kurt, the hope of their calling is this. They've been called to me. You start with a relationship with God. And by the way, that's what the end of the, of the story on this earth, by the way, your story doesn't end ever. But that's what the end of your story on this earth is him. In uh, Exodus uh, 19.4, God has brought the children of Israel out of the promised land. I don't think I had him put this verse up. Um, God is calling the children of Israel out of the promised land. And he says in verse 4 of uh, Exodus 19, he says, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore 
on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Wait a minute. I thought you got them out of slavery because they were being oppressed. The Egyptians were mean. You gave them freedom for freedom. I, I thought, wait, I thought you took them out of that land so they'd have their own land, the promised land. Because the promised land is a lot better than Egypt. And even though they had to go to the wilderness, the promise, I thought it was about the, oh, wait, you wanted to give them identity. They're the people of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all important. But what did God say? I brought them to myself. I brought them to myself. This is all about me. You see, David's been talking about this, and so you're like, Kurt, what's your angle that's a little bit unique and different? Even if it wasn't unique and different, I don't mind repeating Dave. It's been amazing. But I felt like the capstone on all of this is this. Jesus has come back for you, and he decided to give you the greatest gift of all, himself. The greatest gift of a lover is the beloved, or the, the lover, and you're flowing with me. It's like on your wedding day, you know, one day I'll be married or getting married or whatever. The cake, that's fine. You know, friends and family, that's cool. The pictures, um, it's awesome that now my house will probably not look like a bachelor pad. Like my section, by the way, I rent. The rest of my house looks beautiful. My room sometimes. You know, that's all cool. But that's not my joy. My joy's not going to be in these trappings and these other things. My joy's not going to be in the, the frills as much as she's probably going to have fun designing the colors and all that. That's not, if she ain't there, it means nothing to me. My joy at my wedding is going to be her. Does that make sense? The end of the story is you get God. So while David's really been talking about in the last days, God is coming for a bride. You got to know that he's coming for a bride because the end of the story is he gives himself. It is the greatest gift of God. God. God, I want you to give me the best thing you got. All right, here I am. And some of us are like, yeah, 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 but Lord, I was thinking more like money. Um, I want to get married. I'm like, God, I got these, this list, and God's like, I'm the greatest thing you could ever have. And that messes with some of us. Now, with me, it messes with me in, in a good way because um, that means God wants to reveal himself to me more than I want to know him. And if that sounds weird to you, know that my, I'm not saying anything about myself besides the fact that I, I've yearned to know the Lord. I've, I've, there's been moments I, you know, I'm, I'm giving up food. I'm giving up sleep. I'm giving up time. I'm giving up energy. I'm giving up relationships. And I'm, I'm just going to say, I'm going to pursue God. And sometimes in the pursuit of God, if you're, you know, talk, Paul, he's straining towards this goal. You can forget that God cares more about this than you do. Sometimes you're pursuing the Lord and you forget that God wants to reveal himself more than you want revelation. <laughs> but when I believe that, I actually have faith to go after it. Because if you think it's just about you, if you think it's a one-way street, you're going to be running for Jesus. I'm like, man, this is getting really tough. Man, Lord, I don't know. I don't want to read my Bible and pray or whatever. And, but when I get the revelation that, wait, God wants to reveal himself to me. I mean, I could take you through passage after passage after passage where Jesus, where people throughout the Bible talk about God is just like, guys, I'm here to show you me. I, I've come into the room so you would see me. And the only problem in scripture ever God would ever run into with that is when people didn't want him. They didn't want, you know, God shows up on a mountain in fire and bills of smoke Moses, you talk to him. We don't want to see him. 
That's because God was freaking them out. No, God wasn't trying to scare them. He's trying to show them himself, but some of us have a struggle sometimes with the concept that God wants to give us him. And it goes back to this, that we struggle to believe that God is good. If you don't remember anything from this message today, I want you to remember that one thing. God is good. God is good all the time. God is good consistently. God is good predictably. And God is good to you. You might believe God is good consistently, but you might not believe it's predictable. It is. And you might not believe God, you might believe God is good to every other person in this room. Kurt, you've got a good relationship with God. You guys are tight, but you know, I just haven't really seen his goodness. And I don't, I don't think he's good to me. That's called a lie. And that's the reason we struggle with a lot of the junk we struggle with is because we don't believe God is good. I mean, I, when I was praying last night, I really felt like that was, that was the stronghold. That some of you just do not believe God is good. And because you're not convinced of that, I tell you, God wants to give you himself, and you're like, you could get scared because you're like, ooh, I don't want to see God. It's like getting called to the principal's office. It, it's never good, right? When's the last time you got called to the principal's office? I want to tell you how awesome you are. No, like, I, it could happen. It happens and stuff. But you see God that way. Are, are you just like, okay, God and me are going to hang out, and I'm going to sit over here awkwardly, and God's going to sit there, and we're not really going to have a conversation. It's going to be kind of weird, and you know, one of those blind date things, and you're like, uh, 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 gotta go, and you know, God's called me to himself. We struggle with that because we don't know him. But the beauty of it is if you start even just scratching the surface, which is what I want to do today, I want to scratch the surface on the goodness of God, but the goodness of God in the book of Revelation. Because again, this is the last message in the series. I'm talking about the end of the story, and I'm talking about God giving you himself, which he has already done. But just like we're engaged to him, there's more on the other side of the veil, if I could say that. Um, so, if you could turn to Revelation 19. And um, some of you are starting to get a little scared because I'm talking about the book of Revelation. <laughs> I used to get kind of depressed reading this book. Because if you focus... If you focus on the judgments of God in the book of Revelation, it is kind of a downer. By the way, it's all true, and it's all going to happen. But here's the good news. That's not the point of the book. Yeah, yeah, there's chapters and chapters about it. But the judgments of God are not actually the point of the book of Revelation. You could also try to read the book trying to correlate current events or past history or future projections with the symbolism in there. I just get confused, and at worst, I get scared. And I'm either confused or depressed when I read that book that way. I'm not saying that's bad. I've just got to find a system for me in that. Having said all that, I love the book of Revelation. Because I read the book to know him. If you read the book to understand Jesus, it is one of the most glorious books in the Bible. It is one of the most astounding Truths, it's not the revelation of the end times. It's the revelation of Christ. There's a verse in there that says Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The most prophetic book in the whole Bible says that it's all about Jesus. Again, he's the end of the story. He's coming back for his bride and he's giving us himself. I don't know if I want Jesus though. I mean, that's what goes through people's minds. They're like, oh, 
you know, they're, they're freaked out about God. And it's just because you don't know how good God is. He's way gooder than you could ever know. To, to quote somebody. <laughs> all, I, there you go. All the teachers in the room start twitching, wigging out. If I start doing it too long, they start unstrapping their little, like, grammar guns. <laughs> Shoot me out of the water. But I'm going to show you some three things that scratch the surface. I'm not even, this is not exhaustive. This is not everything you would ever read about Jesus in the book of Revelation. I mean, guys, I'm, I'm going to read even a verse that has like four or five descriptions of Jesus, and I'm going to pick one, okay? I want to wet your whistle. Go back and read more. Go back and study more. Go back and pray more. Go back and lay before the Lord and say, Jesus, give me revelation. <laughs> read it and say, Jesus, give me revelation. I want to wet your whistle. But I did pick three things. I, th- I believe they're from the Lord. Otherwise, they're just real- stuff I really like about him, and I'm talking about it, so. But <laughs> this, is, this is Revelation 19.3. <laughs> I was praying earlier, and God started giving me joy. and like, Lord, I got to preach. Okay, I can't do that. Um, he started messing with me. Okay, Revelation 19. 19, 11, there we go, that's the verse. All right, Revelation 19, 11. This is John speaking, he's having a vision. He says, now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. Again, you could pick that verse apart for a year, I'm not lying. It'd be good, it'd be glorious. I'm going to take one little thing from it. And he was called faithful and true. I read that one day, and it like, like knocked me back. He is called faithful and true. Now, part of the reason it knocks me back is because, I mean, one, but just my own life, just to know the Lord is faithful. But God is called faithful throughout the Bible. If you ever tried to study it, I try to look up how many passages one time, or just try to find all the passages. It's just a lot, guys. It's all over the Old Testament, New Testament. It's in the Torah. It's in the Psalms. It's in what Jesus says. God is um, specifically verbalizes the phrase, I am faithful. God is faithful. He is faithful. And if you were to look up all the passages that talk about his faithfulness without even using the word, there would be many, 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 many more. So God's faithfulness is preached throughout Scripture. But I think it's amazing it's in this book because it's at the end it's like it's like two dudes who are about to fight (laughs) yes i'm a guy and i'm preaching it's like two dudes who are about to fight and one guy's like dude i'm the man i'm you know i've been working out and all this stuff and the other guy's talking smack too well it's one thing to talk a bunch at the beginning it's one thing to see a bunch of stuff going on in the middle god is saying at the end of of everything on this earth, everyone will look back at him and say, you were always faithful. It's something we should have in our hearts now. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he's a, we're excluded from calling him that now. You should call him that now. David says in Psalms, I believe it's the end of Psalm 34, I would have lost heart if I had not believed I would have seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. God gave me that verse one time when I was like, God, I believe you for heaven. You know, I'm believing you for heaven. He's like, believe me for now, okay? And so he wasn't that harsh. The Lord's really gentle with me. Kurt. Um, 
But do you get what he's saying? At the very end, everyone's going to call him faithful and true. I could talk about what that means throughout history. I could paint you a picture, but I want to just talk about your own life for a second. What does it mean at the end of your story on this earth? Because again, you're going to live forever. But your end of your story on this earth, what does it mean that God was always faithful? It means that he kept all his promises. And what are some of those promises? Well, first of all, let's think about this. At the end, Paul writes in, other, in John's season in Revelation that we're going to give an account for everything we've ever done. Revelation actually says books will be laid open before, you know, maybe that was just the vision. Maybe they actually got iPads or whatever. Like, <laughs> the data is going to be out, whatever. But books are going to be laid out in everything you have ever done. Is laid before him. We're gonna, Jesus said we're, you're going to have to give an account for every idle word you've ever said, everything you've ever done. And in 1 John 1, 9, it says, he's faithful, he's faithful, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you realize if you're a believer, you're going to get to the end, the last day, because we're in the last days, but there is a last day. We're going to get to the last day. We're going to get to the end of our life on this earth. And God is going to say, I don't see anything wrong. Everything has been covered by the blood. What if I didn't repent for something when I get to heaven? I don't know. I like to think that I'm going to get up there and God's like, Kurt, there's that one thing. God, forgive me. Okay, it's covered. (laughs) So yes, I believe in confession. I believe you need to repent for your sins even as a believer. But catch what I'm saying. At the very end, nothing. He will be faithful to forgive everything. Kurt, Remember that thing you did March 25th, 2012? You, you were really mean that day, and, you know, I was faithful to forgive everything, but that was just wrong, dude. You know, is God going to do that? No. God's going to be like, I don't want really to see anything. Everything's going to get covered. Everything. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's long-suffering, which Dave brought up a couple weeks ago. God is long-suffering. What does that mean? That means he is patient with you and has even forgiven sins you've never repented of because you didn't know you committed them. I've done stupid stuff that I looked back and was like, oh, I was, I was being mean to that person. I didn't even realize it. And I know there's tons of things I've done that the Lord has been patient with me in long, long, long patience. And we're going to get at the end of time and see that, oh God, I really hurt you there. I didn't even know I was hurting you there. Oh God, I'm so sorry. And God's like, I don't see it. It's all covered by the blood. He's been long-suffering. He's been patient to you. He's faithful in his patience, faithful in his long-suffering, faithful in his love, faithful in his forgiveness. And the other flip side of that, which is really cool, if you can catch this, it will change your life, that he will acknowledge every sacrifice for good you have ever done. And he does. But you're going to get on the other side of eternity and see how he has done it, but he's also going to give you a crown in the age to come. I don't have time to go into all that. But there are times when I do nice stuff for people. And again, my motive is not all mine. I'll not always be there. But I'm doing something nice for someone and they don't acknowledge it. I'm sacrificing. I'm, <laughs> I'm paying for some youth's lunch the third or fourth time because we go hang out. Kurt, I don't got money. Okay. Little, you know, ha- Lord loves a cheerful giver. Here you go. And, you know, and, uh, you know, God sees every single, 
single time you have sacrificed and done something good. God acknowledges every act of obedience. I had this once this week. Um, the Lord was talking to me about our particular area, and God was saying, Kurt, I acknowledge your sacrifice in the area, that area of your life. And I, I, I was kind of like, Lord, that area of my life, I'm so happy I actually listened to you because I traded sin for the peace of God. Lord, on this side of things, that didn't look like a big deal. God's like, yeah, but I know it hurt you at the time. And I acknowledge that was painful. And I, 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 I recognize your sacrifice. And I was floored. I was like, whoa. And the Lord does that. Do you realize you have no negative history when you get to heaven? You're going to read your, you know, you're going to read your history and be like, I just sound awesome. God, that sounds more like you. <laughs> And God's like, yeah, which is why we take the crown he gives us and we're like, this is yours, okay? I mean, think about it. He saves you from your sin, forgives you. He inspires you to do good things. He calls you to do good things. He empowers you to do good things. And then he rewards you for what he empowered you and called you and inspired you to do. Like God works the system. If it wasn't for me, this boy wouldn't obey me, but I want to reward him. So Kurt, do this. Here's my power. Okay, now I can give you a present for it. God, that was all you. I know, but here you go. You know, God, when the Bible says God is gracious, do you know what that means? He's full of grace. What is grace? It's a gift. God loves, God's a big giver. He just, he wants to hook you up. He has worked his own system so he could hook you up for eternity. You're, God is faithful, and I could go on on this for like hours, but I won't. But let me just, in this one part by saying God has been faithful, and you're gonna actually see back how God has been faithful in ways you couldn't even see on earth. Because I believe the Lord is going to reveal your history in terms of not, not only the natural realm, but the spiritual realm. I believe God saved me from stuff I didn't even know was coming against me. I believe God saved me from demons, saved me from danger. I know literally God has actually saved my life twice, if not three times. But I believe there's been more times where the Lord actually, yeah, <laughs> we were in Thailand once. The bus broke down a hill. But the Lord saved me. But I believe there's many more times where I've actually been saved from danger, saved from temptation, saved from things, and I'm going to look, and I'm actually going to look back at my story and say, whoa, God, you protected me from that. I didn't even know that was coming. He's like, I was faithful. I'm going to see how God provided resources when I didn't even know I was lacking, and God, I was like, God, you provide. He's like, I'm faithful. You're going to find out how God was always faithful to watch over every promise in your life. I'm not saying you're not going to see it here. I hope you don't get this, all right, in heaven it's all going to make sense. I don't even know if we're going to understand all the whys, okay? But I do know I'm going to get to the end of the story here. And I'm going to call, and I'm going to say, you were faithful. You are faithful. And so when I say you get God, that's who you get. You see what I'm saying? It's like me prophesying over a bride and saying, your husband, I just feel like from the Lord, your husband will always be faithful to you. What kind of confidence does that give her? What kind of peace? What kind of security? This is my God. The God who is always faithful to me on earth will be faithful to me in eternity, and that's the reality I'm going to step into. All right, I don't have a lot of time, but we're going to keep going. This is good. All right, turn to Revelation 5. Revelation 5. There's at least three or four really distinct, different pictures of Jesus in the book of Revelation. There's probably more. There might, 
Uh, I just haven't studied them all that much. I get stuck on one part, and I just don't move on really quickly sometimes. But um, the other one's in Revelation 5, 6. And this is how um, John describes Jesus. He says, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne, this is Revelation 5, 6, And behold, in the midst of the throne, and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent unto all the earth. I have no idea what the eyes are about. I don't get the horns thing. Don't ask me any of that. I just want to look at one thing here, okay? That's the beauty of... Lord, speak to me about the symbolism later. Let's talk about you. Um, It says, Stood a lamb as though it had been slain. He for eternity will be defined by his love for you. If I was God, I would try to forget the cross. It was traumatic. That's an understatement. Like, literally, Jesus is beaten to a pulp. Isaiah says you couldn't, you could barely tell he was a man anymore. He was whipped. His, his, the flesh on his back was torn. He's literally dying in his own fluids on the cross. Uh, people are mocking him. He's stripped naked like this. He's got a crown of thorns. They're beating him. The very people he's trying to save. I have a hard time letting the doctor, you know, take my blood or something. To think that God could have stopped that at any moment and he chose not to because he loved me. You realize that when Jesus was raised from the dead, he has his resurrected, glorified body and yet he still has scars in his hands, feet. He still has a wound on his side. Why? That's the body, by the way, he went to heaven with. It's the body he still has now. Why is, why is that important? God, God, God wants you to see forever. This is how I feel about you. I'm not forgetting this. God's wearing it like a trophy. It's like, Lord, I would like to forget that. And God's like, no, no, no. This is what you need to remember. I talked about God being faithful. What I'm really talking about here is God loves you and wants you. Romans 8 says, you know, if he gave us his son, how much more will he not also give us all things? When I see how much God loves me, and I'm like, wait, you gave me you, but it hurts you, but you gave me you. I'm excited now. And, you know, so when I tell you that the greatest gift God could ever give you is him, that should mean something because that means the most loving person in the world wants to be your friend wants to be your father, wants to be your bridegroom, wants to be your lover, wants to be the one for you. This is God. This is how God feels about you. And this is what he reveals of himself for eternity. The cross wasn't just, I did that, moving on. No, I did that. I've done that. And really, he's doing that. I'm not saying Jesus died on the cross again. He died once, rose again once. But the love keeps going. And he doesn't, I'm going to love you a lot with the cross, and now I'm not going to love you that much. No, I look at it this way. He paid a huge price for me. Um, <laughs> I doubt he's going to get rid of me that easily. He paid a lot. You know, when I put a lot of money, when I, you ever have buyer's remorse, and you can't return something, but you put a lot of money on it? Well, I'm keeping this thing, I'm going to use it, and I'm going to like it. Now, you know, that's, that's the flesh, that's the world, that's Kurt, that's, but, God looks at you and is like, man, I love you, and I want you. 
One of, one of the pictures of Jesus in the book of Revelation is that he has eyes of burning fire and speaks of God being a consuming fire, which a couple messages ago, you should check out Dave's message. It talk, speaks of the jealousy of God, how God just longs for you. I mean, think about this. He got the whole world in his hands. He sees everything. He has the whole universe. And, and the moment you look at him, his eyes go and you see his focus on you. If you were the only person on earth, he would have died for you. This is how God feels about you. Guys, I don't get it entirely, to be quite honest. If you're like, if you're sitting here and listening to Kurt speaking, like, Kurt, that's a great idea, but I just don't feel that. I don't feel that totally either, okay? But I'm believing what he says about himself. I'm believing that he is love. And when he is love, when I get him, I get love. When he is good, I get him and I get good. Does that make sense? Like, the logic flows. He's been faithful to me in the past. He's been, he'll be faithful to me in the future. I want to look at one last aspect of God that he reveals in Revelation. This is, um, we're actually going to, I just wanted to join these two passages. This is uh, Revelation 21, 1 through 4. And then we're going to also read Revelation 22, 1 through 5. So it's either on the same page or in the next two pages. So read four verses of the first chapter, five of the next. Um, and I'll show you why I'm doing this. Okay. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Jump over to chapter 22, verse 1. It says, And he showed me a pure river water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of his street and on either side of the river was a tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, which is awesome. Love the verse. Um, and there will be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. These shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp, nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. I'm going to focus on this one little aspect in verse 5. They'll need no lamp, nor light of the sun, for the Lord gives them light. That, that speaks two things to me, which you can obviously pull from what I just read. So I'm not taking a symbol and just applying my own meaning to it. I, I really, okay, Bible study here. One of the things when it says God is light, he starts off by saying there's no darkness. My future is good because God is good. If he is my future, I experience goodness on this earth and in the age to come. So when I get God, I get good when I get good, it's really good because that's how really God is. All that stuff we read in chapter 21 about no, no pain, no suffering, no sorrow, no crying, that's not because heaven is just a nice and tidy place. That's because God is there. And um, you got to know that's what God wants for you. I thought God wasn't into my comfort. He's into my character. There's an application of that. 
But eventually God just wants to love on you in a very comfortable way. Heaven's going to be fun. If, if you don't feel like it's going to be fun, you just don't know much about it. And I don't, I, I, guys, I'm with you on this. I'm telling you stuff I barely looked into, which was a, why I was a little like, Lord, I'm teaching on this. And like Clint kind of said this the time when he was speaking, like, I, I'm not even in the minor league. I feel like I barely picked up a bat and I'm barely swinging. And now they're telling me, let's talk, talk to us about techniques of batting. You hit the ball, like, you know, God loves you. Like, this is, you know, this is, uh, this is the doorway to so much more of the Lord, but he is light, so there's always goodness. The second thing, which I really actually feel is what the Lord wants me to emphasize here. Um, the first part was good. But is that with sunlight, there's energy. And um, Emily really brought this up well. She did a teaching at Through the Roof a couple Fridays ago talking about honoring the Lord with our body. She brought some anatomy stuff in there. It was cool. And she talked about how uh, when the sun shines, it gives light and energy to plants. Photosynthesis, they make that into food. And we, in turn, either eat the plants or eat animals that eat the plants. Or eat animals that eat the animals that eat the plants, whatever. Um, and from that, we get energy. So in a sense, the sun is a source of our energy. So when God is the sun, we will need no sun nor lamp, he becomes the source of our energy. What does that speak to me? That says, the God who is power has empowered me. And that's what it says in that last verse, by the way. I read uh, Revelation 22, 5. For the Lord their God gives them light, and they shall reign. They shall reign. They shall reign forever and ever. It would be extremely ridiculous in my thinking. Now, God can do it every once. But when I saw his way, I was like, whoa. It would be extremely ridiculous to think that God would call you to expand his kingdom on earth, call you to rule and reign with him here on this earth, and not let that continue into the age to come. Do you see here that you've been called to reign for eternity? God's the best bridegroom there is. He tells his spouse, I, I believe in you. I want to see your dreams fulfilled. I want to equip you and empower you to do all that you've called to be. You're not just here to serve me. I'm here to serve you. And I'm, I'm lifting you up so you will do everything that you're meant to be. And we have been called to co-reign with him. What does that look like? I don't really know, but I, I will tell you what I know about our reigning on earth. I made it in the image of the creator. Thus, I create. When I expand the kingdom, I'm either recreating or I'm creating. Meaning that I'm either restoring something that's broken and recreating something. God, this guy needs a limb. Give him a limb. And I'm not joking either. I'm like serious. Lord, give, Lord, heal this sickness. Restore his body. God, restore this marriage. God, restore the love where there was no love. That's recreation. And that's also why recreation is good because we need rest and it rebuilds us. Um, but we also create art, start a business, plant a church, um, preach the gospel and see someone get saved. They become a new creation. We are in the business of creation because that's what we're made in the image of, the creator. And so as rulers and reigners with God, he hasn't given us a task for a time. He's given us a task on earth to get us ready for heaven and the future. 
I don't think we have to fix anything. So that's really cool. Now all we get to do is create cool stuff from scratch. We get to take new stuff, and I don't know if we're making it better or we're just making it new out of new. I don't, I don't know what this all looks like. I just know what God is and what he does and how he does things. And I know that when I'm called to rule and reign with him, I'm expanding his kingdom. Again, what does that look like? I can just tell you what it looks like here. And this is how God feels about you. Which I get really excited again because my whole thing about purpose and I want to do something significant. God, God calls some people and he, he woos them just with the, 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 uh, just the invitation of intimacy. God, you know, I want to be your friend. God had to come to me and say, Kurt, I've, got, I've given you something important to do. Now, the person who gets in by the friendship thing later find they have a blessed purpose with him. And the person who gets in with purpose finds out, oh, I have, he's called me to friendship. And so like, it's, it's a both and. But you've got to understand, especially some of you guys, if you're like me, like, it's all about I've got a task and I've got to get it done and we're going to get this thing. God loves you enough that he's, he's got stuff for you to do in heaven. And it's not going to be work. It's just going to be fun. Like some of you have hobbies and do stuff. And someone else is like, man, that's a lot of work. There's going to be no stress, no strain. There's just going to be joy. I'm ruling with Christ. Hey, God, let's go over to that Cosmo and do this. I don't, guys, only, I can only imagine, right? But like, um, I want you to see that this is who you have and who you're getting. You have eternal life now. So don't miss that. But this is the end of our story. This is the capstone. He gave me the greatest gift ever. He gave me himself. Now, I'm not saying it's all going to look like what I want it to look, but I'm going to say when I see what he wants me to have, I'll realize that's what I really wanted in the very end. And it actually has a lot more to do even with what I want than I think it does. And if that didn't make sense to you, just hang around God and you'll realize how good he is. But I want to end this message with two challenges for you. The first challenge is this. I hope you see that heaven is not supposed to be a there thing in terms of knowing God, but it's supposed to be a here thing. I've heard people say, and I, I want to say it's my heart cry. I know I've still got a lot of me to you know, let the Lord fix, I should say. But I've, for example, heard Missy Edwards sing this, and I'm like, dude, that, that, I want that. She, you know, I think she says in a song, I, I want to know you as much as a man can know you on this earth. I'm fine with stuff being reserved for heaven, but I believe I haven't tapped into hardly anything. Moses saw God face to face. Why would someone in an inferior covenant get a superior blessing? Kurt, are you just looking for manifestations? I'm just looking for God. I don't care how he shows up. Sometimes I do, but at the end, I really don't care how he shows up. I want God. When I say strain, I don't want you to like get all worried. Like, I got to... I gotta, ah, uh, you know. God wants to reveal himself more than you want him to reveal him to you. And he's calling you into the hope of your calling. I've been called to know him. And there's hope in that. It's not the depression of your calling. I don't know God, it is so hard. No, no, it's the hope of your calling. I have a hard time hearing God. I do too sometimes, okay? Like, but God will speak to me. God speaks to me. God speaks to you. God will reveal himself to you. Hebrews 11, 4 or something says, um, and he rewards those who diligently seek him. So on one hand, I want to challenge all of you guys that this better have put a hunger in your heart to say, 
I want to go home and talk to Jesus. The best sermons I ever hear are the ones that I'm like, this guy better shut up quickly because I want to go home and pray. <laughs> because he's talking about something that I, I know I can only, I can experience with other people, but I got to develop in that secret place. God's calling you to the secret place, guys. And it's only when you really get the secret place that you can really get together too, by the way. So, whole other message. I keep going off on stuff. But, guys, know this. God is good, and he wants you to know him. The second thing I, I want to leave you with is this. When I talked about heaven, no tear, no pain, no, no crying. When I said, you know, God has been faithful. When I talked about the love of the Lord, that wasn't to tell you how good life will be, just. Jesus prayed that, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't walk in a situation saying, how would Kurt take care of this? I do, but in my right mind, I don't walk in a situation saying, how would Kurt take care of this? I don't walk in a problem saying, how would Kurt handle this? If I'm thinking clearly, I say, what would God do? And I'm not talking about Jesus would be nice. I'm talking about what would Jesus do if he ran into cancer? You're gone. What would Jesus do if he faced a crisis in his business? Lord, speak to me. Give me wisdom. It's one of the best prayers I've ever prayed, by the way. Lord, give me wisdom. And don't be phased, by the way, if God doesn't talk to you right away. He's always given me wisdom. It just comes when I need it, not always when I want it. But he always answers it. Always ask him for wisdom. I ask him now about the silliest stuff. Lord, just help me figure this out. And then later, I'm in, conver- I'm in conversation with somebody, and I'm like, ah, that's it. That's what you wanted to tell me. God has called you to the supernatural, and is calling you to take your future and bring it here. Said, Kurt, that's taken away from the future. That's taken away from what heaven will be. I think heaven's got enough glory to pass around. Like, you have God in you, okay? So... You could have heaven on earth and still get new cool stuff later, and the new cool stuff being him, by the way. Does that make sense? I, I want you to see that heaven on earth is a lot cooler, a lot bigger, and a lot more than us than we've ever imagined. So let me pray, and then Dave's going to uh, lead us in response. Lord, I ask for every single person here that they would experience you in a new way. I'm not just called to come back to you, Lord. I'm called to go to new levels with you, glory to glory. So I pray, God, every person here would experience glory to glory. I pray everyone here would, um, if someone is feeling shame because they haven't uh, been listening or haven't heard God or whatever, I just declared there's no shame in Christ. That's not from Jesus. If some of you are confused because you don't understand what's going on, I just declare that's not from Jesus. And I just declare right now, the Lord loves you and is satisfied with you. And he's just inviting you to come. So Lord, we do come and help us bring heaven to earth, I pray in your name. Amen.